Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, we are going to talk about one of my absolute favorite topics, one that I all know that, that every single person listening is intimately involved with, because even if you don't create content, I know you consume it because you're listening to this podcast. So there's no getting around the fact that content is relevant to you. Um, and today, we have a really, really very special guest. Christy Sturgill is our content writer and sort of content editorial queen here at Pragmatic. She is exceptional. We have an exceptional team here and Christy is no different. And I have absolutely loved having her on the team and really enjoyed both the, the strong writing she brings, but also sort of the strategic planning and thinking to how we address content here. So welcome, Christy. It's great to have you. I'm excited to be here. I, I kind of had like a little jolt when you said like the best minds in the industry. I was like, wait, Am I? But I'm here. <laughs> Everybody feels that way. Don't worry. Everyone's like, oh, wait, I'm faking it. No. <laughs> so for those who don't have the pleasure of working with you every day, Christy, give everyone just a little bit of your background and your role here at Pragmatic. Yeah. So here at Pragmatic, I I do everything written, right? Like I, I do our articles, I do our emails, I edit our web pages for all of our verticals. I, I jump in and I serve as support staff for different team members who are also constantly producing content. And so so I am I'm all things written, but that's not my only background, right? So I my background was in convergence journalism, so I am familiar with podcasting, I am familiar with video, photography, all of that, uh, because I started my career in journalism. Unfortunately, as the industry was dying in my area of the state, and so they leaned on reporters to do more and more and more of what used to be done by like other people. And I was like, whoa, reporters had like photographers who followed them around? Wow, not me. So I had to take the photos, record the video, upload it to the website, design the newspaper, like the whole gamut. And so that was a great experience in like all things content. From there, um, I switched to marketing because sadly enough, one of my main newspapers I wrote for was the Edmund Sun and they closed down 
after being like the oldest newspaper in the state of Oklahoma, which was terribly, terribly sad. And then I worked for the Claremore Daily Progress for a while, but they also ended up having to cut lots of their budget. And I ended up not working for them full time. I was a stringer. And so, so I moved into marketing. It was like, I used to be a business government education reporter. So all of that transfers to articles, right? For blogs. And so I wrote for plumbers and roofers and asphalt companies and credit unions and pretty much every, I have so much random knowledge from that time. And then went to went from there, the company I was at, the agency I was at sold to a larger agency. I was a contractor. So at that time, I decided to move to a traditional job. Traditional. I was a director of marketing for Mental Health Association Oklahoma. We had a whole team there. And I was thinking about this last night. When I first moved in, it was like a traditional office job. I had like this beautiful office, like floor to ceiling windows on the 12th floor of this like big building. Gorgeous, right? I took a picture, sent it to my mom. My mom was like, you have a, like, it was something like you have a beautiful box just like the rest of us. And like, (laughs) I know she meant it jokingly, but I was like, oh my God, she's right. So, you know, pandemic hit. I was like, why am I not still remote? That was like my jam. That's where I love to live my life. So I went back to being an individual contributor after kind of being in like a management type role. And I was like, I miss writing. I miss creating content. And I miss working remotely. And I knew how much I missed it because every time they're like, oh, we can't wait to be back in the office. I was the person who was like, am I supposed to like say I agree out of like peer pressure? Because I don't. I don't want to be back in the office. <laughs> so yeah. And so now I'm here writing with you and I just love pragmatic. It's been fun. Nice. Uh, and, and their loss is absolutely our gain in it. And you bring all of those experiences to the role as well as I believe there may be listeners here who know you as Miss Sturgill. Oh, uh, I sometimes forget that. Yes, Mr. <laughs> I am a professor <laughs> of business communications at Oral Roberts University right now. And I'm also, I have been teaching their social media course for the last four years as well. But I don't think I'm going cont- to, I have not signed a contract to con- because it is a hard thing to teach. I don't know if you know this, but social media changes every time you wake up in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And teaching that requires a level of dedication that I can only provide if I'm doing the work every day. Otherwise it's like extra things I have to keep up right. with. So so I don't I don't think I'm gonna keep up with that one. But business com, I've been teaching it for next year will be the first year I have been teaching it longer than I was an undergrad student. I feel like mm-hmm. that's a milestone. So yeah, it is. All <laughs> right. So we bring all that experience as a reporter, uh, as, you know, sort of as a manager, as a teacher to to what we do here. And one of the things you've you've heard me say probably an annoyingly large amount of time is, you know, as a training company, people need to understand we're really experts in the field. So content here pays plays a, just a really elevated role, although it's a huge part of everybody's marketing program. And so when it came time to have our framework box of the month be content. I was like, well, let's like, let's look at ourselves too. Let's talk about how we do it, where we have successes and where we continue to struggle. Like no one's perfect. And and so I think that would be great if we talk a little bit, maybe we start big picture about sort of how the, how you structure the content planning, how you set kind of the goals of, of what the 
of what the content will be. Yeah. So we, this is sort of new for us as of like last fall. And we, our goal starts with an umbrella topic, right? This is the, this is one of the boxes this month being content and, and it's, it's finding avenues to talk about that topic um, and angles to talk about that topic to support when somebody comes to our website and says, I want to learn more about content. I want to learn more about use cases or use scenarios, which was last month. They have a, a list of high quality values or high quality content pieces. So they can then at that point know exactly what's going on in that box. Like I want them to leave our website, leave our content pieces, knowing more than what they did when they came. And so that's sort of the, that's the big goal, right? We want them to feel like the time was well spent no matter where they were on our website. And I think that's, that's, that's a great way of putting it, right? So there's an umbrella topic and then we try to build a whole pathway through that topic. So it's not one article and it's not one article to rule them all. You really look at a lot of different angles of that topic and also lots of different ways to consume the content, right? So there'll be a webinar. There's podcasts for those who like to listen. You'll take this podcast and you'll turn it into a blog for those who prefer to read. We'll do little infographics, right? So that there's a variety of ways, no matter how they consume. And again, like a whole topic for them to explore. They can kind of immerse themselves in that umbrella topic. Yeah. And what's great about that experience for them is that I feel like we try to think of content that fits our audience in different parts of their journey and different parts of their career. And so like we had a piece uh, contributed recently by one of our newest instructors, Dan, and he was talking about like the early stages of a product management career. And I'm like, that's great because we have people who show up who are like, what's a product manager? Yeah, <laughs> and so we need to serve them, right? We need to make sure that they have as many tools as possible. And then we also need to serve the person who's been a product manager, who's very established in their career, make sure when they show up, they also find value. And so it's not just, here's an umbrella topic, here's a bunch of, you know, tributaries leading to the river that is content. It's, it's where are people starting in their journey? And thinking about how to serve them in those those parts of their experience. Yeah, absolutely. How do we help them progress no matter where their starting point is? And we do. We have, like you said, people who are like new, just got thrown on this title, don't know what it is. And we absolutely have people who've been alumni for 10 years who are looking mm -hmm. to, to maybe build their team up or reestablish kind of the structures there. Yep. One of the other things that we've worked on and you've worked on a lot since the fall is is making sure that all the content work together. Uh, we have historically sometimes struggled with like we have really good podcasts, which sounds a terrible thing to say when you're the host of podcasts. <laughs> Take out the conceited part of that, but like, okay, we've got podcasts, we had blogs, we've got magazines, we've got social stuff, but they were kind of separated, right? didn't always feel like we were all working in the same path. So establishing that umbrella and the calendar of ideas, not just the content early, helps to make sure that everybody's, all of those things are contributing and sort of working in alignment. Yeah. So the planning structure is actually really process driven. I think a lot of people when they're like, okay, we need to come up with content for next month. It is just a free for all in your brain of the things that interest you, 
right? The things that you've heard, the people you've talked to, et cetera, if you're the person in charge of creating the content. So to get out of what interests me and to think of more holistically, what I actually do is I start by looking at the context of all the content we've created. Pragmatic has been, you know, around for 29 years. There, there is so much valuable content. And so I look at all of the things we've already created. Mm-hmm. And then that gives me sort of a foundation to build my ideas on. I know where we exist. I know what we've talked about in the past. I know what's done well in the past or what hasn't. And then from there, I look at our competitors, right? So to find all that old content, what I do is I type in the keyword, let's say content, big, broad keyword content into Google. And then I go into advanced search and I put in pragmatic Institute pulls up everything that we have that has the word content on it. Yes, we could go to the website and do the same thing, but I feel like Google gives me like a better feel of how much content we have. Cause it'll be like one of 30 pages, 300 pages. Like what am I looking at? And the other thing is that the, in the Google content, it's weighted by what's coming up in Google, right? So you can exactly. kind of see what's performing in the outside world as well as just what's on site. Yeah. And so I look at usually the first five to seven pages of that, unless it's like a really robust topic. And then I maybe I'll make it all the way into like 10. <laughs> and then I do the same thing for our, our competitors, right? Like I use the same keyword. I use their domain. It pulls up the same way it would pull up for us. And then I can see what kind of conversations they've had. Then I go and I type that keyword and variations of that keyword. So it could be content content marketing for product managers, content marketing 2022. I kind of have those like ideas in mind. I type it into the search engine. I see what organically pulls up and I start looking for things like, you know, how long is the article? What is their video embedded? Is there, what type of images are used? How many images are used? Who is pulling up? Maybe I find a new competitor to follow in that exercise. And so I put all of these things in different little databases that help me keep track of it. And then the last thing I might do, I don't always do, it depends on the topic, is I'll actually look at, like I'll go into Amazon and I'll type in content marketing books and then I'll filter by the year and I'll see if there's any new books that have been per- mm. published. I do the same thing on a software I use called Scribed because I'm, I'm subscribed to it so I can actually like, read whatever pops up and scribed will also pull up like New York times articles or times magazine articles or stuff like that. So pull up things that maybe I don't immediately see. And so I use all of those things and I see what conversations are happening. I'm just looking for patterns and I don't always see patterns, right? But I I sometimes do. I also notate anybody who looks like a good guest for the podcast. And so those usually come from like those Amazon scribe searches, like people who've published research, people who've published books. And then I have this like this map, almost like uh, a little bit. I feel a little bit like that meme with the man with the all of the pictures up on the a wall. Little beautiful but... minds. We're not gonna lie, right? With all yeah. the... <laughs> a little beautiful minds. And so I like I have like in my brain that that like version up in my head, and I, I'm just looking for where all these little elements come together, and and then that sort of inspires content ideas. And so there's all this work. That happens before you even get to the, here's a content idea, here's a content idea, here's a content idea. And then after that, that's when we jump in and we look at 
what's the search volume, right? And so it's it's not that those content ideas, sometimes we do it backwards. And I think Brett talked about this beautifully. So if you haven't listened to that episode, it's the one right before this one. With the inbound methodology, there's nothing wrong with like finding some keywords and writing content around those keywords. That's still a really valid, strong strategy. But what we've done is we're still using that strategy, but we've put it at the back right? So we, we look at what conversations have happened, what conversations are happening, and then we validate it with keywords versus finding keywords and then trying to push a conversation. Well, and I think that's also why the content doesn't read like clickbait, right? It doesn't read like, because that's, that's the danger. Everybody's done that and it, it doesn't work long-term and you're writing for a machine and not people. And it doesn't happen that way at all here. But I also think to your point, very few people think about all the work that happens before the brainstorm topic, right? Which is another thing, you know, we had to work at moving the calendar earlier. You couldn't, you couldn't do all that like the day before the month of the topic, right? So you had to really kind of start planning those further away. But, but I think it's that, it's the research that goes up there that helps you find the right topics that then deliver the results. And again, it's, it's, there's a ton of science to it. And from there you find the connection and that inspires brand new things, but it's not just like, what do we think is interesting? Yeah. And it still can fail, right? Yeah. Like you can do all of this work. And what I, I see content as little bets every month, we make a deposit into the content machine you know, every week through podcasts, through articles. And sometimes those little bets pay off, right? We get something that does phenomenally well. And we're like, yeah, that that hit home. And, and so then we study it. You know, was it the title? Was it the keyword density? Was it the format? Something, right? And then sometimes it doesn't. And you yeah. study that too. You know, why didn't this do as well as we thought it would? And it's hard too, because you do like when you, it's, we're all excited when we get one that really resonates and you're like, that's it. We have mastered it. We have cracked the code. We are experts. And then like the next one where we feel like we did the same thing, it's like a big, and it's, it's the truth of it, right? There are clearly intangible things that come into play as well. And it's also not maybe to the level like you talk about social changing constantly, but it does change and it evolves. And Google changes theirs and the way people change theirs and your competitors change. But yeah, so it's just still very exciting when you nail one. <laughs> well, no, the, the thing is, is our first article of the year, Meaningful Segmentation with Adrian Barnes, did so good. I mean, it is a bar setter. And just start the year. <laughs> so you just, you just keep missing. <laughs> it just, it, it did so well. And, and so I, I go back and I think about like, okay, well, you know, it, it was based off a podcast, right? So it's like, okay, so, but, you know, it's, it had her, you know, name on it, you know, even though we, we, you know, refurbished what was a podcast into an article format. We did it in a certain way. It was her sharing it. Like, so there's all these little things where you like, it could have been this, it could have been this, it could have been the topic. It could have been the day of the week, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So when we're talking about those that succeed, what metrics, how, what measurements are we using? Talk to them about that. So we go, this is how we know it's succeed. Not just like it was a really good read, which also matters. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> Most people will start and stop their content marketing strategy with page views. 
And so, and that's like the, the one thing you can see pretty much in any way, right? Like so many people landed on and we look at page views, right? We also look at unique page views. And so the difference between those page views and unique page views is duplicate of users. And I love teaching my students this because page views are like impressions. And so whenever I, I do this thing called impressions and reach, and I teach them how to do this. I'm going to teach our listeners. Hopefully they're not annoyed, but it's when you're driving down a road, right? And there's a billboard and we pass the billboard and say, we're going to work. So we pass the billboard going to work. We pass the billboard going home. What is that? Impressions two, reach one right? So page views, page views for that same scenario, two, unique page views, one. And so it is very tempting as a content creator to just focus on those page views because by their nature, they are bigger than unique page views. And I think they have value, right? Page views do have value because we know that when people interact with us so many points in time, like they become more comfortable, more confident in our content, right? And so even if they've looked at the same page twice, that's still a valuable interaction. It's not any less valuable than if they looked at it once. But unique page views, I feel like is a less inflated number. It's a more like conservative number. <laughs> and so so I, I tend to focus on those, right? Page views, unique page views. But Beyond that, we have actually started looking at, uh, Google has a UTM, which is like a tracking, a link tracking. We are starting to look at how many people click on the sort of call to action. That's usually at the end. We're going to move that call to action around and see if we get different results. We've just started doing this. But it's a way, as a content creator, I want to get the pieces we create as close to ROI as possible. And so, so we are going to try to see not just how many people look at the article, but what percentage of those people click on the article or click on the call to action, which is one of our course pages. And of those percentage, how many people purchase? And then all of a sudden we can tie a real dollar number to a real piece of content. And that's exciting for me because, and also terrifying, right? Because what if the answer is zero? <laughs> 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 so <laughs> so it but it's it's a really good thing to know so so we measure page views unique page views we started comparing last year because we've changed strategy to this year the number of page views coming to the website to look at these articles like what is that number and right now I mean we've already exceeded last year so per your request we're actually going to start looking at month over month page views like all of the page views together or all the unique page views together is there a change from one month to the next because we produce about the same number of articles which is four right occasionally it's five or on a very ambitious month six <laughs> so you know is there a page view change from one month to the next so we look at we look at the total together. And then we look at our top performing and lowest performing for the year, because there's so much you can learn by which articles have done the best and which articles have done the worst and trying to do more of what works and less of what doesn't. Like that's my whole goal. And she kind of buried the exciting news. I was incredibly proud of the team and, and Christine particularly because end of May, we matched all of the page views from last year by the end of May. And we actually did it with slightly less new articles than we did. Uh, and I, that's just impressive because it's, it's 
again, it's, it's quality over content. It's writing really well, but writing really well about what you know your market wants. And the only way to do that is the kind of research that you're talking about, as well as like we're, we're in the classroom with our students a lot as well. So we get to see some of those things. And the other thing that I know, like the, the call to action piece is awesome. The other thing I know we're working on on the website too is, is journey mapping, right? So in someone's path in their in the, in one visit and also in their lifetime visit between when they first came and when they bought how many resources are they interacting with like how how many articles does it generally take or webinar views does it take to move them and that's also because it is it is the power of a single piece which is just so it's so like it, it it's so rewarding in a very like tangible way but there's also like the overall mass, the library and the impressiveness of the resources and the power that has to move people through as a whole is also, I think, an important part to look at at the strategy because it really is, yes, because there isn't, I, no matter how great an article is, right? It's very strange for someone to see one article once and be like, I'd never heard of them. I didn't know I need training. I read this article and boom, I went like, it's just, I mean, my God, that would be amazing. <laughs> but, but it is part of, it's part of discovery through search. It's part of sort of validation as you see and, and you start to see the kind of topics we cover and know about and also the stories of our clients so that they share and how they used it. So it plays many, many roles there. It does. And you know, it's so fun. So we have a piece coming out. I'm just going to plug it. I'm going to tell people to go look at it. <laughs> this is, you have to experiment as far as like metrics go, right? You have to experiment as a content creator. And you talk about this again with Brett, like experimentation is a strength, right? Failure and experimentation shouldn't be, you know, that's overwhelmed. Like you should be pushing the boundaries enough that sometimes it doesn't work. And so this is one of the things I haven't tried yet. And so I'm very excited. What we did was we interviewed so many of our product pragmatic mm -hmm. alumni community winners, right? Of the 2022 community awards. And they tell this like wonderful story, not to mention they themselves are just wonderful humans. And so I captured their voice and so their article is embedded or their voices are embedded into the mm -hmm. article through video. And I'm really excited to see if that's like compelling to people or if they don't like to stop and click and listen. We're using those videos in a bunch of different other ways just in case it doesn't work. But it's such a it's such a great story they tell, right? They talk about not just what pragmatic does for them, but they talk about what the community added. And so it's just so cool to hear that through their like their actual voices versus just like a quote on a page. And there's so there's an authenticity there that I think sometimes gets lost when we written where you're like, oh, that was probably edited a bunch and then approved by the no. And it's like it's uh, authenticity. And then there's excitement again, like in their voices when they're excited about it, it comes through with a with a passion that's that's really neat. So I'm excited about that too. And I like she keeps showing me ones, and I'm like, well, when can we use it? She's like hold your horses. And that's not, <laughs> I'm not my specialty. <laughs> but it, yes, I'm also just super excited. I am waiting on all of their like, yes, you can use my voice in this way, approval emails, which are coming through sprinkling in this morning. So it's, it's almost I'm going to hit play on this article today. So it'll already be live. But what's so cool about it is like, there's this one woman you talk about excitement. She's so excited about the product marketing canvas changed her life. She said in her quotes that it solved a 20-year-old product marketing pain point for her. And so there was a moment where she was like, whenever this released, I was like, yes. And like, 
you can't write that no no but it's also <laughs> can you not write it but also it is it's neat like just on a uh i mean as a marketer you're like oh man you couldn't pay for that kind of promo but as a member of the company like how i like i'm proud of that like i'm, I'm sound corny as all heck for everybody here but like truly you're like oh i'm so excited we did that like we were really excited about the tool we're like we think this is great and for people to be able to do that and for them to be like oh it solved the problem it made my life better it helped me get more recognition at work all that stuff is it's truly why we're here i think most of us is it's it's wonderful to see yeah and when you talk to people who are in the community who are pragmatic alumni and you hear the, the the way their lives have changed because of us, like that makes me a cheerleader. I'm like, boom, 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 pragmatic. Like, right. And so, it, you know, we have the, the woman, Pam, who's a nurse, right? And she, she, we were having a conversation. She pulled her like original pragmatic training to like document from under her desk and showed me <laughs> on the camera. She's like, I still have this. Like I reference this regularly. And so it's just, it for me, you know, I've been here for over a year, but for me to hear those things, it just like, it's so exciting, right? And I think sometimes in marketing, we get cynical, right? Like we don't mean to be, but we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, you know, we're, that's our role. So it, it is awesome when it's just, it's authentic, it's from them. And it's, it makes like you, it makes me so excited to tell people and be like, Hey, more alumni, like the community is super helpful. Like we don't get anything, but it, for you, from you, but like, this is a great space. Please come and, and enjoy. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to get you that article content over to you today. So you can watch those videos. I'll put it in the marketing Slack. So everyone can just be on the same cheerleading vibe that I am on um, yes. right now. So yeah, it's been, it's fun. I love, I love creating content or trying and experimenting. And there's a chance we put this article out and the Google gods hate it, right? They don't <laughs> like the way I've embedded the video, right? Yep. And so, and, and so that's, that's always a risk, but you take them and you, and sometimes you knock it out of the park and sometimes you swing and a miss. So yep. we're sporting. Uh one other question for you. So one of the things that's definitely evolved here is we've been, historically, we were product management, product marketing. So we have a, a big library of, of resources there, of contributors that we can go onto stories we can tell. And as we've really built out data and design, can you talk a little bit about what that means as a content person when you have one company and one brand, but serving three very different targets? That's hard. Um, <laughs> I think that you really have to think about the persona when you sit down to write and you have to think about the historic persona that pragmatic has always served. And then you have to think about the new personas that we're serving now. And then what's really cool is sometimes we can find content since we are an organization that has been in business for 29 years, sometimes we can find content that fits some of those new personas, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, like, even our older content is geared, to, like, we can gear it towards new audiences. And so, so the, the process is the same, right? The process of figuring out what content to write, no matter what the vertical is, no matter if we're talking about the data incubator or pragmatic data or design, like the process of finding the content to write about is the same, right? But we're thinking about the people differently. We're thinking about their problems differently. You know, I was chatting with Erin, who is a wonderful writer herself. 
And we and were for those listeners. She is the marketing manager for the design vertical and also oversees the marketing coordinator for the data vertical. Yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, so she, there was a product chat we had out recently and she was using parts of it for design. I am not, my background is not in design. That is, that is one of the areas that I have a lot to learn in. And, and so uh, I reached out to her and, and she was using one of our product chats for some content on that vertical. And I said, oh, they said this thing. And I forget what it was, you know, something about like design, not just being pretty pictures. It's like being the user experience. And I'm like, yeah. And her response is something like, yeah, but like designers already know that. <laughs> and so, and and so it's like, it's thinking about those things, like, because even somebody who's been, I don't know, I've been writing for a decade, right? And so even so, like having that experience, sometimes I even get caught into the moment yeah. where I'm like, yeah, that's really, that's, that's, that's something. And, and then somebody like gut checks you and is like, well, I mean, that's something to you, a non-designer, <laughs> not something to the designer. So like always having to think about who it is you're serving. And if you lose track of who that person is, then you start writing to yourself. And when you write to yourself, you limit your success, right? You can only serve yourself. And and so there are people like you out there that will also find that interesting, but they're not the people who are going to be investing in the data incubator or in pragmatic data or in pragmatic design because... They're not me, right? They already know some things. And I, and I just, you know, you have to, you have to, it's like, you have to start your article with like, dear whoever, right? Mm -hmm. And then write to that person. And if you can't write to that person, then you're writing to the void. Right. <laughs> and that topic is not the right one, right? If, if, if your persona doesn't care about it, well then good that you did enjoy reading about it and learning, but move on to the next topic to write about that they'll care about. Yeah. So. Uh, and the other thing I think we did is really in, and kind of do because they are distinct, but we have found, as you said, you know, product people work closely with designers and they're all trying to leverage data. So there are connections. So just making sure that even the, uh, the umbrella and the calendar like level, there's enough visibility where you're like, oh, I have something for that. Or, yeah. oh, I think I could leverage that is a really, I think has been a really good way for us to serve the different markets, but also have some connections and, and commonalities there as well. Yeah, your content editorial meeting suggestion, which we started last year, last fall, this year, something, I don't know, very recently. I think it was last fall. Yeah, I think that pulls all, because I mean, I'm not the only person writing. On, like we have so many excellent writers. And so it pulls all of us little content creators into a room where we talk about our things we're working on and we're really like heads down workers, right? Like we're just content engines sitting down cranking out stuff and sometimes we struggle to like look up and see what everybody else is working on and so that is a meeting that brings all of us writers together and and there's a lot of things that happen there right there's a lot of overlap there's a lot of times where pragmatic data in tdi can share resources which I mean, results in, you know, reduced man hours to get like content. Like it's, it's a, a really good way to like steward our talent and make sure that we're not overdoing work by each of us writing the same thing from different angles and, and making sure that, that we're using our time well. Absolutely. 
All right, I know you listen to this podcast because you read articles. So you know what my last question is going to be, Christy. We talked about lots of different stuff today. If you were going to have listeners do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would it be? Okay. This one might be controversial. I thought about this because I know you're, I write the title and abstract for all of these, for those of you listening. So, so I knew this was coming. And so I was thinking about this. And so the first thing is as product managers, which is the audience for this show, right? There is this concept of the MVP, minimum viable product, not most valuable player, which I learned because I am not a product manager um, (laughs) last year. Um, so what happens is sometimes that mentality can creep into content and I don't think it deserves space in the content marketing engine. And so that means sometimes people in, in a rush to create will like slap 600 words on a page and hit publish. And it's like the easiest route least resistant route to live, right? And over time, those low investments or those low quality investments can bring down the whole strategy, right? They are dead weight. So Mm. the one thing you could do today is think about what is the best thing you can provide your audience. Side note, I don't want you to like get paralyzed by perfection. It doesn't mean it has to be perfect, right? But like, what is the best thing you can provide? And if that means you have to do less content in an effort to provide better content, I think over time, even if growth is slower because you're not hitting publish every week, even if growth is slower, I think it's worth it. I think that if, if you are known for good work, good quality content, if it takes you a year to build up the same amount of content, it would have taken you six months or a quarter even. Oh, like the longevity of that value is worth it, in my opinion. And the Uh, reputation that comes with it, right? Your content builds your reputation and bad content means, yeah. And, And it's not that people are making bad content, it's that they're making fast content. Like they feel under the gun. Everybody's so busy. And it's just like, what's the quickest way I can be done with this? And And so, yeah, so that would be my first thing. My second thing is to look at your website as an ecosystem, right? And so it's spring right now. And, you know, we get all sorts of, you know, people start gardening and stuff and and thinking about like the soil, the ecosystem, the all the elements that make plants thrive, right? I think about, I think about websites in the same way. And so it's not just having like good landing pages. It's having good articles. It's having a variety of content mediums, video, audio, and, and then it's going back and pruning what's bad. So you talk a lot about like, what's something we should stop in, in our, you know, team, like what's something we're doing that, that we we just should, it's not producing the results and we should stop doing it and, and reinvest our strategies elsewhere. So I feel like websites sometimes get bogged down with like, Mm -hmm ideas that didn't work and we don't do the work to like prune them out. And so I I think about my bush that I had out front my yard. It was literally falling over. It was like about to uproot itself. And uh, I sent a text to my mom because she's a gardener. And I was like, what do I do? (laughs) My beautiful bush is about to die. And she's like, you need to prune it. 
And so I, you know, I, I did what I call emergency pruning because it was literally, it was, it, it was, it had rained a lot. The soil was really moist. It was just heavy with water. So I just, I, I just did some emergency pruning. And so, and then it popped back up and it was nice and healthy and it's fine. And so I think about sometimes as product managers, we need to do some emergency pruning of our websites because, you know, website speed is a huge SEO factor. And sometimes there's things that are just weighing you down, right? They, they were good ideas at the time. Maybe they're not good ideas now. Maybe they need to be refreshed. Maybe they need to be updated. Like being a really good steward of all the things you've already created and, and making sure you're taking care of them. And I think that will also lead to a very healthy content ecosystem that serves your brand. Those are two good ones, Christy. Christy, it is a very much a pleasure to have you on the team. And it was a real pleasure to have you on the podcast today. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for letting me just plop in and talk about content because I love it. Oh, and it shows. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, that does it for today's episode. Don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs> <laughs>